Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, Jason here, and we are all in for a treat as today's guest truly needs no introduction, the one and only Matthew McConaughey. Now, Matthew's been on quite the podcast tour right now, promoting his new incredible book called Green Lights. So for this show, we tried to shed some light on some of the topics that he hasn't really talked about before. I hope you all enjoy. Matthew, welcome. Good to be here with you, sir. So it is so great to have you. Uh, Green Lights is the book. I love the book. It's a story about faith, intuition, self-awareness, love, patience, persistence, failure, success, your antidotes, the, the personal diaries, the storytelling. Amazing. It's a phenomenal book. And, and before we get started, I, I encourage everyone to pick it up. And congrats on, on writing it. It's, it's, it's fabulous. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to try to do this a little bit differently because you, you, you've been you, the book's been everywhere and it deserves to be everywhere. So I'm going to try to hit some topics that some people haven't hit with this. But I do want to start because I love the concept. So can you briefly walk us through the concept of what a green light is? And of course, you got to cover the yellow light and the red light. So let's just start there. Green lights. So green lights are the things we have in our life, the, the intersections we run into that tell us to go, proceed, carry on. Yes, boy, good girl. Yes, freedom, more, please. We love those. They're shoeless summer. They affirm our way. Uh, red and yellow lights, we don't like those as much because they slow us down or make us stop. They're a crisis, a hardship, an intervention, an interruption, a, a moment of introspection even. While we don't usually want those, we usually find out we need those. They usually have inherent lessons in them that will reveal themselves to have green light assets later in our life. We can get green lights in our life by engineering them. Responsibility today can give us freedom tomorrow. Be kind and cool to our future self. We can sometimes get, by good fortune, green light moments just fall in our lap. We're like, I don't know why I got so lucky or fortunate, but I'm going to do something with it. Also, the art of catching the green lights, I believe, is in the yellow light. Some yellow lights in life we need to listen to, slow down, and sit in the red. Learn about ourselves. Be introspective. Change a habit, maybe. Other yellow lights in life, we don't need to slow down for them. We don't need to give them credit. We need to put the pedal to the metal and blow through that intersection and turn that yellow green because that crisis didn't deserve our time or credit. So the ultimate sort of poetic theory out is that eventually in life, all the red and yellows turn green. The art is really in the yellow light. Do you slow down and stop or do you do you press off, press the gas and go? Because if life was nothing but green lights, well then hell, what's it for? It'd be, it'd be a bunch of entertainment. It's like one big Saturday. And we can only we can only manage so many Saturdays in a in a row. So I, I love that because you, you touch on self-awareness and that's such a key theme of the book. And one of my favorite lines in the book is, quote, it's a matter of how we see the challenge in front of us and how we engage with it. Persist, pivot or concede. And I'm curious of the three. I just love the language persist, pivot or concede. Which is the hardest? Um, probably concession. <laughs> I give, okay, 
I'm done. A, a, a version of that, but not a full white flag is the pivot. Well, wait a minute. I'm done doing it this way. I'm going to try and reapproach this from another way to get past this problem or find the solution. We, I, I look and I'm going to go through this book one day and see how many, uh, uh, what the bat, what the, what the, the scorecard is on how, how many successes I've had by these two, uh, approaches I'm about to bring up. Sometimes we write the headline first, call the shot, set the goal, and then live the story towards it. And we can succeed. There's great value in that. Other times we just jump off the cliff. We got no guarantee, no headline that we're heading for. And we figured out how to fly on the way down. And I know, I think uh, not just me, but I think a, a, a lot of us in our lives, it is, there's an art between those two things. When do you say, I don't care by hook or by crook, I'm going to make, I've got a goal. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know where I'm going. I want to make this happen. And other times you're like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go find out. So those are versions of persistence and, and pivoting. You know, that's the definition of insanity. If you're doing one thing over and over and over, wanting a different outcome. I've had plenty of times in my life where I'm banging my head against the wall on a certain problem just because I'm stubborn and resilient. But it's what I call like the resilience is great. You got to have it. But the loophole in limitless resilience is that you become a repeat offender of what you were doing. I mean, if you step in the pothole on the racetrack of life, and you get up and dust yourself off and keep going, great value in that. But if you do that every time, you keep stepping in the same pothole. So sometimes we need to go, wait a minute, I'm going to give myself a yellow light here. I'm going to have a look back at that damn pothole I keep stepping in so I can measure it. So the next time around the track, we dodge it. That would be a pivot. So I completely agree. I think so many, so many type A's, you know, we're used to, you know, kicking butt, taking names, pushing through whatever we need to push through to accomplish what we need to. And I think conceding is very challenging. And, and where I also think con conceding is very challenging for everyone, relationships. Yes. Well, and you concede, you feel like, oh, I've been trying to make this work for two years. And now if I got to concede or it's over or seven years, you feel like, oh, so I've been a failure all that. I was wrong all that time to get to here. Now, I don't really think that's totally true, but it is a concession to go, I chose wrong, or I, I didn't live up to my own expectations in this relationship, or the other person didn't. And why didn't I see that earlier? Why didn't I know that? Or our mind goes, I did know that. I just didn't trust it. I should have known that. And I, I, damn it, I've, have I wasted all this time? It happens with so many relationships. We, No matter how long they are, you look at D d divorces today. People have been married 20 something years. And then these major lawsuits, and you're like, and they're coming at each other with claws out. And you're like going, wow. Do you try to put white out over that entire 25 year relationship and say that was like wasted time, wrong time? A lot of times that's where our head goes. Woo. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to affairs of the heart, um, I've found I've had success at least meeting. I know the, the woman who I'm now married to and love Camilla. That was target drawing the arrow. That was me going, I'm going to quit writing that headline. I'm going to quit seeking that thing. I'm going to quit looking for the one and working at every red light and every produce section. and every. I'm like, no, just back off and just be you. And then and, and that's when I that's when she came. That's be the spider in the web with affairs of the heart. 
So there are a couple of things I want to drill down on. One, I'm so curious. Do you think is is the the art of concession letting go of attachment and and attachment to the thing and then being open to all possibilities? The beginner's mind. Good question. Is concession being saying, hey, I'm being open to all of them. Um, I guess in some ways it is. I've always thought about it. I mean, you could also call that a pivot. You know sure. what I mean? You could say, well, now I'm going to, I'm going to, but I could also, to, to back your point up, I, for instance, in meeting Camilla, I conceded to the fact that I may end up an 88 year old bachelor and that would be okay. So once I conceded to being okay and not judging myself of, oh, that means your life wouldn't have gone as you hoped it would. Well, then I was open and that's when she showed up. Now, I always thought of that as being more of a pivot in the way I thought about it because I was still hoping for meeting the one, which I did. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I went away. I did concede. I conceded one thing to allow myself. But I, in a way, it's not a concession because I still wanted it. You know what I mean? I, I still hoped for it. I was just okay with the alternative if I yeah. didn't. So you say like, hey, look, I'm taking a step back. I, I want a partner. It's very much in my heart. And if it happens, amazing. But if it doesn't happen, it's, I'm going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and so on that note, you know, you're so candid in the book about your relationship. You talk about your parents' relationship, having been divorced twice, married three times. Everyone needs to, to read the whole thing. But what I love about it is, you know, we all have an idea about love and what a relationship looks like. Yeah. And I'm curious, in your experience, I, I think the, the way I, I you talk about your parents' relationship in a way it was non-judgmental, and I, I love that. And I'm curious, what's your perspective today? What do you think is necessary for a you know long-lasting, loving, fulfilling yeah. relationship? What are those necessary, must-have qualities to make it work? Great, great question. <laughs> great question. When I fell in love with Camilla was when I got the courage, when I was falling in love with her and said one time in Papua New Guinea, what would I have to do to lose you? And her answer was, oh, that's easy. Change. Well, that's when my heart crumpled, my knees buckled. I was like, wow, this is the woman for me. But have I changed? Yes. Hopefully I've grown with her. We changed, but she... If you have, a, if you have a, an essential understanding of who your partner is, who that love is, you're going to both grow together and you're going to grow independently. And as long as it goes, she keep, if we can know the inherent truth of who someone is and then feed that, feed that. Don't start tallying up a scorecard. Who got to do what more win? Da, 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 da. No, it's, 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 it. it you know, feed that ascent, the essentialness of that person you love. It's what a good friend does. They remind us of our better and truer selves. And when we're blind and we're growing and, and flying higher, and we may not notice that we're doing something that's going to be a debit in our own soul, that's what that mate does. Ah, now this one's this one I think is going to cost you in the wrong way. I don't think this was this move that you're doing is true for you. So. 
One is that I think don't compete in that way. Two, it's been said a bunch, but man, oh man, it's a good one. That sense of humor. Give each other a little amnesty. If you know, it, 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 it's, and, I, and, and for me, I'm a, uh, I try to be better at that because for the first time with Camilla getting married for me was, oh, now I can stumble and not fall. Oh, now if we hit a bump, my spider senses for the first time in my life aren't going, uh-oh, beginning at the end, this is over. Yeah, now I'm going like, no, I'm in this. And that's part of the commitment that I understand with marriage. It's like, no, you fall, but then you go, this is the hard work, and it's the good hard work. Maybe don't quit so fast. If you've done the diligence to say, no, there's essentially this person wants the best and truest for me, and I want the best and truest for them. If you're secure in that decision, then get ready for those bumps, but don't get scared about, oh, gosh, uh-oh, because I think a lot of us quit too early. This, again, goes to pivot and persist. A lot of us quit a relationship too early. And then the concession comes or the pivot comes when you go, someone turns out to be not who you thought they were. Now, that I can't imagine. Oh, that if you to find out, I've always thought of that with people that like have find out there was an extra, there was an extramarital affairs or something. And that was not OK. It was not understood that you go. The, the retrospective unpacking, deconstructing the many not the nights that you have slept with that person. When you go back and you say it was a 20 year marriage that you found that someone was cheating on you the whole time. I cannot imagine the pain or almost the shame that I would feel about going, oh, my God, was I being duped the whole time? Did any of it matter? That one conversation, that awesome night we had, was that real? Or were they act? Oh, I can't imagine that. Um, but uh, uh, trust is another one. Trust. Um, a, a good mate helps us trust ourselves more. I get, Camilla pushes me. If she knows something, if I really, and she makes me convince her. And if I'm once she's convinced, she's like the one telling me, "Reach down and grab your pair, big boy, and go make it happen." She's the one saying, "Get the hell out of here." She's the one that told me, "Get your damn diaries and get out of here." You've been threatening to go write the book. Go, and don't come back until you got something. And don't even call me. All right? If you're calling me, it means you're not working on a book. Of course, what happens to a man when your wife says, "Don't call me"? You call him more. <laughs> but I mean, wanting the best for them. I have a poem in the book that says, "I, my, I love to." See you, not make you happy. It's awesome. And this goes back to that scorecard thing. To see our mate, you got to be happy seeing them happy doing something that you really don't have anything to do with. That you not you didn't make them happy, but you see them in a conversation with somebody. Or come on, I guess to go out and have a girls weekend. It makes me happy. She calls, she tells me how it's fun they're having. I've been in relationships with that call. Maybe I'm having a good time with the boys. I'm not doing anything wrong. But that call is like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you're like, oh, no, don't go, go give me that voice. No, you're making me feel kind of guilty about it. Uh-uh, be happy for the other one when they're doing something irrespective of you, on their own. Let them have that individual happiness. And truly, if you can, be truly happy for them. That's really healthy for a relationship. So, so, so again, I'll go back to alignment, I think, is another key theme of the book. And specifically, you know, having our mind and heart aligned and i'm curious what does that practice look like for you because what i got from it what, what i also believe in is it's work 
you know, green lights are work. It, it, there's a practice in my mind, you know, you need to, these are, these are muscles you need to work out. You need to, it's like, yes, there's, I think some people have, you know, gifts. I'll liken it to basketball. Like not everyone's born seven feet tall and, you know, very quick and can jump out of the gym and maybe they're gifted to play, you know, like Shaq, but some people have like some gifts of intuition, self-awareness, but you still got to work at it. Yep. And how do you work at it? on a daily basis. What does that look like for you? On a daily basis. We know you journal. There are diaries in here, beautiful yeah. diaries. We know you journal. I do make lists. I love making a list. I love crossing things off a list. I love crossing things off a list. So I make quite long lists actually. And I put little fun things on there like kiss your wife at lunchtime. So I can mark that one off. I'm very good at being on autopilot, meaning there's times we get really busy. And you're like, I don't have a demarcation between events right now. I'm going back to back to back to back and just, I'll catch up with myself, trusting that I'll, this weekend, I'll catch up with myself. You don't have time to go for that walk, Matthew. You don't, you're not, you don't feel like making, you need to stay in the, stay in the zone here. You don't, you're not making time to meditate or pray or, or, or say you're thinking, well, would you just remember, we got to get to it this weekend. It's why I like that. I always say I'm, I'm, I'm happiest when I notice that the, the weekly calendar has been laid out so great. I go, I like church. That's where I get, I get my, my time to think about me and my life and my loved ones around it. Well, come around Friday on the week, I'm getting ready for needing some church again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, ah, oh, it's perfectly laid out in the calendar because Monday I'm like, oh, I'm full. I'm set. I got this. I don't ever need to go back. Tuesday, I'm good. Wednesday, I'm good. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we go, oh, yeah. Lost, peeling the onion back a little bit. Need to go recharge and do some inventory. Daily rituals. I tell you this, when life is musical, when my relationships are musical, I try to keep, I try to see life as music. I try to keep the rhythm of it, whether it's a whistle, a ditty, or the way you walk through. You know, you can tell when our spouse, you can tell how they are, where their mind is just by how they walk in a room or how they turn or how they're talking through a window, how they're talking to the, your child or, or someone working in the yard or whatever. You can just tell how they are by their body language, Fi finding the, the music in our, our relationship. And they get, they get strained. You're away from each other for a while. You get kind of off. You're not in alignment. As you said, you kind of have to come back and slowly get in and you have an intimate time with your spouse and all of a sudden you're back and you, the way you engage, how intimate you get when you talk, the way you move, your touch is stronger, but yet softer at the same time, the way you talk to each other, your tone of voice, just try to find, trying to find that, that, that music. And sometimes that can be simply letting somebody off the hook by laughing and not taking something personally. And sometimes it means, Hey, we got to go have that sit down. We got to deal with this. It's been three weeks. This is adding up. Feel like well, I don't want this habit to happen. Camille is very good about that with me, but I make a list before I go to bed tomorrow. I try to think back about my day, what did I have for breakfast, which can be a hard thing to remember sometimes at night when I'm in bed. But try to get to a place where I remember what I did through the day, and then have a list and go, what do I have tomorrow? What's my general day look like? How much time do I have to my? Try to take some time with myself in the morning, check in with myself before I check in with the world. That's another thing I, I like to try and do as much as I can, which I think is valuable, especially now with you get news and everything's immediate. You wake right up. You want to check out who wrote last night or what's the news. It's valuable, I think, to check in with ourselves personally, quietly, 
just even if it's five, 10 minutes before you walk out the door, out the bedroom or get out of bed and go greet the day. I hope I answered your question. That's, no, that's, no, it's, I'm curious too. Like, what do you do when you're having a day and you're like, man, I'm just having a bad day or you, you just like, do you, do you have a go-to? Do you go for a hike? Do you have a drink? Like what's your, what's your go-to when you just need a timeout, if you will, like, like the same way our toddler needs a timeout. Like what do you do when you need a timeout? Well, I either do one of two things. If I have, I'm big on commitment, so I won't cancel. I'm very, I, I very some cancel things. Even if I'm like in a bunker, got to handle something. Much. So I'll tell, sometimes I bear down and go, don't make a mountain out of the small hill. Because sometimes, look, my least, my biggest enemy, my least favorite feeling when I am having a bad day, fatigue. Being tired. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep. That is, is I'm, my mind digitizes when I don't get enough sleep. I don't have a baseline. It's all digi thoughts digitizing. I don't like it. It's a, it's a long, hard day. The wrong kind of work. Other times... I'll get relative. I'll take a moment, pop up to that Google look at the earth or God's POV and go, look at you, this little speck on this revolving planet in this little increment of time. Look how many thousand years have been before you. I mean, thousand years ago, I'm going to be after. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I want you because usually those hard days can come from the wrong kind of self-involvement getting hung up on the wrong thing, the wrong kind of selfishness. And so I'll try to get that perspective, which sort of lightens my shoulders and my shoulders go back and go, oh yeah, none of it, none of it matters. Other times I just remind myself, like my mom used to tell us, hey, you're bitching about no shoes. Let me introduce you to the kid with no feet. And I just go like, try to look at a simple thing. This monk friend of mine, Brother Christian, at the Monastery of Christ of the Desert, I was like, so do you guys, are you guys seeing God everywhere? They're going, no, we're seeing things of God everywhere. And if our mind starts to wander, we are taught to look at our feet, and even if it's dirt or a rock, to appreciate that is of God. So that's a perspective changer, where I sometimes go like, what are you talking about? Relatively speaking, you got water, you got a roof over your head, so cut it out, McConaughey. Quit being a, whatever you're hung up on. So perspective thing to just go back to the baseline. And I'll hear my mom say things in my ear that she used to tell us as kids. There was no guarantee the sun was going to rise this morning. And who the hell do you think you are for thinking it was guaranteed? And you go like, whoa, okay. I have some of those same parable, parables from my mother in my head as well. They are the, the boy the boy with no shoes cried until he met the boy with no feet. That one, that yeah. one is just like sunken in with my mother. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. And so, you know, you mentioned news, Google, you have a great entry in the book about tribes. You also talk about high frequency and a lot of, a lot of noise in the high frequency life. I love that verbiage. And, you know, when I think of the world today, you know, when I think about tribes, I think we live in, unfortunately, a binary world, a world of extremes, a world with, you know, so many of our problems are in some ways because of tribalism and our need for tribes. And we're talking to each other in an eco chamber. And yep. so, you know, what we believe in, my buddy Green, I believe in, what do we, we believe in unity. We believe in healing. You know, we believe in seeing the good in everyone and uniting on, on the common ground we all have, no matter where we stand politically. And, you know, I go back to like, there's so much noise, so to speak, in trying to live the high frequency life now, whether it's, you know, lots of distrust, finger pointing, but like, again, 
we're in the business, we're, we're in the healing, the healing business. And so yeah. how can we collectively heal in a world where there's such tribalism and, yep. and we need it? Yep. I hear you. I look, that's why I love sports. It's the greatest example of tribalism. It's like, yes, you come there and it's one team versus another team that's fan, the seats are split down the middle. But after the game, you're like, shake a hand or sing your school song or whatever that is. There's great value in understanding how to have team play and the collective society in those because I do believe we are going to always have tribes and like are going to go to like. I think we need to recalibrate and redefine what our definitions of success is. We're told in America that it's money and fame. Um, and that's kind of short money thinking. I think we need to one all practice a little bit more having a longer view. I am, I'm big on breaking down the contradictions. I mean, you probably get that from the book. I'm saying that I think the truth is in the paradox or the and instead of the, or the but, that both are true. And it doesn't make yours less true. It's almost like a marriage. I was so afraid to get married because I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm going to lose half of myself. No, keep 100% of yourself there, 100%. And the funny multiplication between a, a marriage is that one times one equals three. <laughs> Actually, it's more. There's a place where we can be selfish and selfless at the same time. That's the honey hole where responsibility and freedom are not too contra not a contradiction, where what we want and what we need are not two different things. So where do those where do those two meet? I, my hunch is that as a collective society, it starts to speak literally of tribes. I think we are all, all each our own tribe as well. It starts with each one of, each one of us in the mirror saying, "Hey, how can I be a little bit better?" Or what is I value? What's my definition of success? And think of it in, in immortal finish line ways, not immediately right now, because the, there's a place where the immediate gratification can meet the extended gratification. Someone was asking me this the other day. As a white male in, 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 in a position of power, do you want to help create a society that opens up more equal opportunity for your daughter? And I'm like, yes, and I would venture to say that's a more selfish thing for me to do. Because if I'm going to hoard whatever power I have and not create more opportunity for more people in whatever way I can, actually, I'm doing my daughter a disservice <laughs> because so what's really the more selfish thing to do? Well, it'd probably set up a world in which my daughter and other women can have more equal opportunity. That would be a more selfish thing. Now, does that come with some sacrifices? Sure. But again, we see sacrifice as a loss. And it's not. There's a gain in the sacrifices. If we just see further down the road, and I think when you see further down the road, when I write in the book about what's your eulogy going to be, think about it. It's a great thing to think about. It's not a morose idea. You'll actually live more vibrantly when you think about it. You'll live in the life. You'll be more alive if you consider how you're going to be introduced when you're gone. So that those two aren't, those two aren't a contradiction. That, but we see them as con all those things as contradictions. I was I'm working on a theory now that generosity is actually the most selfish thing a person can do. If generosity breeds gratitude, and gratitude can give you actual responsibility because you're thankful for those things, those shoes, because you got feet. That's a very extremely, that's the most selfish thing. 
you can do. And, but you got to, I think we have to grasp, grasp the long view though. And it's just tough to do. When you grasp the long view, then all that noise isn't near as loud that you're talking about. It's not near as loud. You can see through it and you understand, oh no, that's, yeah, I know I'm getting a lot of different incoming frequencies right now, but now I can hear more clearly which ones really matter or what station I really want to be tuned into because there is a lot of noise, but that other noise gets quieter and goes away. I think when you have that longer view of what's the real outcome. So, so you mentioned the longer view and success. What, what does success look like for you now? Legacy choices. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, I'm not that interested in one-offs of any kind. Um, I've built some things in 51 years that a lot of my time going forward is not necessarily, I don't think going to be, or I won't see them as new ventures. I'll probably see them as more enriching and letting the roots grow wider and deeper in things that I've already established. Um, starting first and foremost with my family. Success for me would be to have three conscientious, autonomous and confident young men and women go into the world. Success for me would be being in the top three of their best friends later in life. Because now is not the time for that. I have to be more of a parent right now. And that's what I mean when I bring up the theory of conservative early liberal late. Right now, I got to teach you to block and tackle before we can just say, hey, we're buddies. We're all buddies, you know. Um, um, to to have still have a clear faith with with God for me still have the relationship with Camilla, my wife, and for us to build together going forward. And like I said, let our roots grow deeper and wider for things we've already sown in our lives. And to, to step into more probably of a leadership role. And I don't know if that's by thought or what that, I don't know, I don't know what that role is for me now, but it's something that, I'm, that I've been working on and trying to decipher for myself. Um, but integrity is a lot of it. I mean, again, if, if the fame and money is at the top, and I got, I love, I'm for fame and money. Great, I'm famous and I got money. But I can look myself in the eye and go, I didn't sacrifice something that I'm really about along the way to get it. And I think it's very easy for us to say, well, I'll sacrifice myself, my soul's account, to fill my bank account. And again, I think that's short money. Not, it's not the long view. It's not long money. It's not real ROI. It's not real residuals. And, and that's what I mean. That's what green lights are. You're setting yourself up for residuals in the future that give you more freedom and responsibility. So you know, g- going back to where we are in the world today and, and maybe your reluctant role is, as a leader, I, I, think, I think whether you want it or not, it's, it's happening with this book. Uh, <laughs> what, what concerns you and on the flip side, what, what excites you about where we are in the world in December, 2020? Yeah. Um, concerns me right now. All right. I, I, I think COVID is going to take care of itself. I think the vaccine is going to come. There's going to be a couple that come out and I think we're going to have this licked by mid year. Um, but what concerns me immediately as well is there's not this civil war here because we're still question sides are questioning about elections and things like this. And then it's concerns me is we don't trust anybody. 
we don't trust our leaders, we don't have consensus, we don't trust science, we don't trust God, we don't trust the, we abuse these innately cool tools for living like the internet, money, we abuse religion. And when we abuse them, we then say, well, then they're bad. So let's cast them out. The internet's evil. Religion is, is BS and money's evil. No, it's not. Those are tools. We're the ones that bastardize them. <laughs> us, uh, you know, so again, that's another thing. We make that contradiction. Well, if, if, if people are doing bad things on the internet, well, the internet's evil. No, it's not. That's, that's it, 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 it's a, again, it's a tool. We're just abusing it. I'm concerned about the distrust. 30% of Americans trust their neighbor. Ah, uh, what? Oh, geez. Go knock on the door then, man. Go say howdy, maybe. And if we don't trust each other, we then end up not trusting ourselves. And boy, that's a horrible place to be. And I've been there, but I don't want that to be in existence. And um, I, I, there's no social contracts with people. They don't, there's not any understood expectations between you and I. So the lack of trust, this sort of individualism gone anarchic in a way is not the right kind of collective <laughs> there's some anarchists that may call that a collective well if everyone just looks out for themselves that would be the collect no hang on a second the math that math doesn't add up it's again it won't serve us in the long view it won't serve the next generation our children what have you it won't even serve us even though we think it does at the moment um so the lack of lack of trust and I think values are where, from my hunch, the stepping stone forward. That those are the ones where we can go, oh, I, you voted for him? Well, I voted for the other guy. Oh, you go to that church? Oh, I'm an atheist. Well, but we, st we can still have some certain understanding of a value that, hey, man, I don't know. We shook on it. You said you would, and I said I would. You don't have to think about that again. I said I would, so I'll do it. I don't have to think about it again because you said you would, right? Yep, great. Thank you. Um, so redefining those again, and they're not, it's not rocket science. This is the stuff our, our mom was taught us. Just getting those out there again and saying, hey, guys, it's not, you know, the, the that, that, and the, here's the other thing that concerns me. We, <laughs> you talked to, I remember I asked to some, some people at Google, so what's the word? any regulations leadership going forward here with what you are and they go the algorithm will tell us and i went oh shit. the algorithm will tell you this what are we feeding the algorithm for ai and all that stuff but what are we feeding it we've proved to be we've proved to be tyrants we've proved that mankind possesses a major massive amount of evil cannot be in denial of that so you know that again yeah distrust in others and ourselves going forward. I'm very confident that we'll, it'll find its waterline and we'll come back. And I'm, I actually am bullish on the idea that this time in COVID and this year with the civil unrest and the year 2020 will be a green light year in a rear view mirror that we'll look back and go, ah, I was forced to do inventory. Ah, the world, politicians, politics was forced to declare and say, what am I? What do I do? I've been skating by here for a while. And now the whole country distrusts in, 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 in us, our leaders. Oh, we've got to redefine. We've got to 
drain the, the swamp's being drained in a way indirectly right now in a good way amen <laughs> amen we'll close there <laughs> amen amen uh, well matthew thank you so much we love the book green lights every everyone go pick it up and uh, yeah I'll, we'll, we'll end up in austin again so yeah, that's our that's going to be our, probably our long-term home so maybe we'll, we'll grab a beer when that, when, when that happens thanks for doing this love the book Thank love you. the message appreciate it be well take care Thank of yourself you.